Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Spirit of Time podcast. This is Matt, again on a, uh, a transatlantic solo mission. Last time was with Alistair Gibbons, this time is with Dan. Dan is the host of the Zulu Time podcast and sometimes known for his uh, his IG profile, Timely Moments. Um, ordinarily, you know, Dan, we'd have a, I'd have a co-host, we'd have some banter back and forth on what we've been doing over the past week or two, but uh, we don't have that today, so let's just dive right in. How are you, man? It's good to see you. I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, and obviously, been following your podcast as well since you've uh, started releasing episodes, and I've been really enjoying it. So, again, looking forward to you know have a chat with you and feature on your podcasts. Thanks. Well, you're too kind. Um, for people, Dan, that don't know you, some of our listeners here in the states um, may not be familiar. Obviously, folks, you're hearing an accent there. Dan is uh, is I don't know if you'd mind me saying so. Dan is a serving soldier in the British Army. Um, he is a, uh, a, a British citizen, a watch enthusiast of actually some renown, and in at least to my way of thinking, is kind of a, a military and modern military watch expert. He's got a pretty interesting collection and a lot of knowledge, so happy to have him on. Uh, thanks, Matt. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I'd say that I'm an enthusiastic amateur, but uh, I appreciate it all the same. Um, so yeah, um, but yes, no, I am... Um, Currently in Britain, I am a serving soldier and I am definitely uh, 100% a member of the watch fam and definitely a watch geek. So, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, then let's just get started with the, uh, the de rigueur question number one. Let's do a wrist check. What have you got today? So in honor of uh, coming on and obviously talking about uh, the topics that we're going to talk about today, I decided that the only watch that I could wear was uh, my Bremont Solo. Uh, which is the watch that I uh, I designed with Bremont Military and Special Projects team. Um, and it commemorates um, the history of one of my sub-trades that I've done in, in the British military, which is imagery intelligence. So there's a lot of uh, subtle cues on the dial and also on the case back and the rotor weight uh, that obviously um, commemorate uh, that facet of intelligence. So that's the watch that I've got on. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that it's actually 001 because obviously being the project leader, you get the first one. So there you go. That's pretty amazing. Actually, when you think about that at the, at the, you know, maybe at the end of the day in your watch collecting career, when you kind of think about how many watches you have the opportunity to have, you know, serial number one of however many, mm. probably a small number. So that's super cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It is really cool. And you're right. There's not there's not many people who get to have zero zero one of anything. Um, and uh, yeah, I count myself very fortunate that Bremont um, saw the project as something that they were willing to effectively endorse and put their name to. So obviously that that's uh, obviously really cool to have in the collection. What about you, Matt? What watch have you got on today? So I'm actually a little bit disappointed because I, I wore. Um, so, you know, for folks listening, it's uh, it's basically 
you know, early evening and at least here, you know, on the West coast and it is basically early in the morning where Dan is. So thank you, Dan. Um, yeah. but I, I wore my grand Seiko. I have the SBGA four one three, and that was sort of my workaday watch. And I came home with the fully with the intent to put on my, uh, my Tutima. I've got a Lamania 5,100 powered the military chronograph. And that's kind of the most overtly like military adjacent watch I have. But when I got home, I realized, no, that's, I, I have a, you know, a safe, a secure, like offsite location and it's there. So instead, Aww. yeah. So instead I'm wearing, I don't know if you've, have you had a chance to see one of these yet? This is the, the new Seiko Presage Sharp Edge GMT. So this is a relatively new release from them. Nice. It is. So I've um, not seen it uh, in person, but I have seen it on your pages uh, and it does look really good. Um, and being, uh, someone who travels with, you know, for work, uh, professionally, um, and also has to occasionally operate to different time zones as we are now. Um, I find that, uh, a GMT complication is possibly the most useful complication on any watch that I own. Um, so I know, um, that it's something that I would definitely enjoy if I did get the chance to see it in person. So. Yeah. GMT complication is kind of my favorite. I, a, it's useful. But it's also, um, even when it's not useful, if I'm not traveling, it reminds me of traveling and, and aviation. And it just puts me in sort of in that headspace, which is a happy place for me. So, yeah. And it's a, when you think about it, I mean, this is basically a, uh, a true mechanical GMT, you know, jumping hour GMT uh, for very, very reasonable, accessible price. I mean, I think this is probably, no other way to say it, the, the cheapest real i'm making air quotes folks gmt that you can get i think yeah it, it looks I'd cool so. yeah it does look cool and, and and the thing is it also comes from a very reputable you know line within seiko as well and you know who doesn't love a seiko at the end of the day you know because they're great you know? yeah 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 the presage it's like hansel it's so hot mm. right now well hey um I don't suppose where you are, you have a beverage poured, or then again, maybe you do, because it is, like I said, very, very early. Do you have anything in the glass? Uh, so I, I don't have anything in my glass because of the time. Um, however, I have come prepared, um, and I've got a couple of suggestions of things that I have recently finished. Does that count? I, you know what? I think we'll use it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, the first one that I've got is, is a, a whiskey. Um, that I really, I really enjoy. Uh, and uh, the particular blend that I like is called Legend, and it's from a distillery that's called Penderin. So Penderin Distillery is actually Welsh. It's a Welsh whiskey. Um, and yeah, the, the Legend uh, blend is possibly their nicest one. Uh, they do a couple where they um, have like Madeira finishes as well, but I've not tried them. But the, the Legend one is pr pretty much they're one of their most you know standard blends that they do. Uh, but what I like about it is, A, it's a Welsh whiskey, and there's obviously not many Welsh whiskies around, um, but also the Penderin Distillery um, has a, um, a geographical link to a British military unit, um, which everyone will, will know of, um, because the distillery is effectively at uh, the start point of the um, uh, the fan dance, which yes. is, uh, for those who don't know what that is, the fan dance is a, uh, effectively a hike, uh, speed march, uh, weighted march over some very rough terrain, um, that, uh, soldiers and, um, military personnel who want to 
basically join the special forces have to complete. Um, and I believe, not that I've seen a bottle, but I believe that Pendaren have actually done small batches um, in relation to uh, the special forces in Wales. Yeah, I um, I was about to ask you that if you didn't mention it yourself, because I'm sure there can't be too many Welsh distilleries. And it seems to me that I heard somebody in in the watch world you know, talking about, well, I'll just say who it is. It's not a big deal. I think it was Jason Heaton did a trip a few Mm -hmm. years ago. And I think he mentioned kind of that, that location being fairly close to, as you say, to the start or maybe the finish of, well, I think that's an out and back. So I guess it is an out and back. Yeah. Yeah. The start is the finish. It is now a penny fan. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, and again, for the listeners, if, if you want to think of that as a, um, it's, it's, an extreme conditions ruck march that's meant to begin weeding out, you know, uh, troopers who just don't, you know, pack the, the baggage, the, you know, and have the appropriate level of fitness and mental fortitude. So it's just a, a many miles long hike carrying a, a lot of weight on your back. You have to do it rapidly. And yep. you're, I don't believe you're, you're told your time, you know, you just, you don't, you just need to get out and back as soon as you can. And it must weigh heavily on you literally and figuratively. Yeah. You don't know where, where your pace is. So, um, there is, uh, set timings and off the top of my head, you know, not being someone who has ever put themselves forward for it. Um, I haven't done um, a lot of research in terms, in terms of, of, you know, doing it. Um, but I do know that if you travel at, I believe it's four miles an hour over that terrain, you can average it out. Uh, it's either four miles an hour or four kilometers an hour over that terrain. Uh, the theory is you will actually succeed. So there you go. But I think it's something stupid like 16 kilometers or something like that um, that they've got to achieve. Um, and I think it's, I believe it's four hours out and back or something like that. I, again, I've not looked at it for a very long time since I was a boy reading about, you know, the exploits of the special forces. Um, but I'd have to get back to you. But I mean, it's all, you know, Google, uh, Google searchable as it were. Sure. Well, I, I think, you know, given my age and my level of fitness today, I'd probably be happy with just having a sip of the whiskey and, (laughs) and thinking like the the young studs hitting that hill (laughs) and, and drink a glass to them. Well, in, a, in the last few years, actually, there has actually been a lot of civilian run events. So you can actually do the fan dance as a bit of a uh, uh, a civilian event and actually just do it. Um, and, you know, you get like a little participation medal and certificate and, you know, it's done for charities and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if there are those out there who are listening uh, to our, us talking today um, in UK and that's something that they want to do, um, you know, just Google it and, you know, go put yourself on it. You don't have to military to do that course uh, in terms of the uh the actual you know route course that is not the actual you know you have to be in the military to do the actual sure. course so yeah it makes sense uh, yeah that's a bucket list item for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my second uh, alcohol of choice that i've just recently finished is a rum and it's blackwell's jamaica rum uh, the particular blend that I had, uh, and I bought it purely for aesthetic and f- uh, watch photography reasons, and it just so happened to be really good, was uh, the limited edition uh, blend that they brought out for James Bond. So it was the blend that they used in uh, a few of the James Bond films um, of the Daniel Craig era, and they've obviously emblazoned 007 uh, on, the, on the label. Uh, they've said that that particular bottle is limited, but I don't believe the blend is. I think it's just the bottle label. I think, you know, Blackwell's rum is Blackwell's rum. So, Got it. No, that makes sense. 
Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, I think people will sometimes raise their eyebrows at that stuff. It's all marketing and fluff and James Bond and whatever. I'm a sucker for all of it. I'm, of course. Yeah. I'm yeah. all about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I was a sucker as well. And I was like, oh, well, I've got the watch, you know, you know that, you know, uh, that he, he loosely kind of wore. Um, it would be great for photos. And obviously, it, that's the whole reason that I bought it. And it just so happened that it also tasted great, you know. And uh, it's actually quite, it was actually suggested to me from another uh, member of the watch fam uh, but he didn't tell me to buy that particular blend he just said any blackwell rum is really good and he described it as a uh the best way to have it is as whiskey and have it neat and have it as like a sipping kind of spirit so that's how I, right. how, how i had it and it was fantastic so. cool well hey in my glass speaking of of rum um th- so this is not rum but this is <laughs> actually uh redemption rye and I I can't take credit for this but this has become sort of one of my go-to things lately you know when you get home and it's still you know pretty pretty hot mm-hmm. here in southern California even in like the six o'clock hour yeah. and uh, this is basically a if you want to think of this this is about two fingers of redemption rye which is a uh, yeah. a, a rye from you know the uh, the Midwest here, and it's a um, a rum cask finish, and it's just I'll like I said I'll pour like two fingers of that one good hit of like an orange bitters, and yep. then and then on top of that I'm just going to pour Fenimans. So this is Fenimans nice. uh, ginger beer, and just super refreshing, and you can kind of make it lighter, heavier, however you want to do it. You know, just a big, big, uh, you know, block of ice in there, and yep. that's nice in the afternoon. So that's my my poor check. Everybody, you should try nice. that. And hat tip to the uh, the whiskey and watches podcast guys. That's where I got that idea. Nice, excellent. Well, Dan, let's just dive into the main topic. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your story? I've heard a little bit from various other sources, and I've pieced things together. But can you give uh-huh. us like the elevator pitch? Like, who are you, and what is your interest in watches? Okay, so. Uh... I'm obviously clearly done. Uh, I joined the army 2011. Uh, I was told to turn up at day one basic training with a watch. Um, and effectively, that's kind of where I started looking at uh, collecting into watches because you just type in watch for the army, you know, watch for military. And eventually, uh, if you're a bit uh, of a nerd like me and you start researching things um, to the nth degree, um, you start disappearing away from um all of your G-Shocks and your standard watches that will come up on the first three pages of, of Google returns when you actually start finding, you know, uh, historical articles of, of watches. Um, but, I mean, that that's kind of like where it kind of stemmed from. Um, however, because I come from a military background, I was actually surrounded by guys who had military-issued watches as well. I just didn't know about it uh, until I joined the Army. Um, but what interested me about those watches was the fact that they have issued markings they have years and I actually basically started collecting because I was determined to find a watch from the year of my birth um alas uh I have still not been able to find one um so that's obviously still an ongoing hunt but that's kind of like how I got into watches it literally was because I joined the army and was told to turn up day one basic training with a watch um you know, the first watch I ever bought was um, a G-Shock, you know, um, and that got me through basic training and that was fine. Um, and then, like I said, it was one of those at, at different points throughout my career where I've had, uh, you know, effectively passed out of different stages of training or into different units or different anniversaries. I started looking at trying to commemorate those little milestones in my career with a watch. 
Um, and that's kind of how it worked out for me. So. Right on. Well, so military watches in particular definitely seem to be your focus. Um, let me get a sense, like, is there, for somebody who's interested in learning about military watches, a lot of people who listen to our podcast are going to be, as you can imagine, are going to be people who are mm-hmm. in, like, as you say, in the watch fam. But the military watch thing is not something that a lot of people know about. And even myself, I mean, I've been into watches for 20 odd years. And, you know, I have that, you know, people who know me joke around and sometimes will call me like mill spec, Matt, full, full <laughs> disclosure. I, you know, I didn't really like start. It. But, um, you know, that's just always been my, uh, my area of interest, but I don't know a lot. Like, do you have any resources that you would recommend, um, for somebody who wanted to learn about military watches? Cause from what I've seen, they're actually a, they're pretty interesting. They're mm-hmm. more, they're more, um, available and accessible than people would think. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool stories, but where would you go to find out about that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, so when I first started Googling it, uh, and again, it's, it sounds quite scary. I think it's almost 10 years ago because I've been in the army 10 years as of October. Um, I initially found, obviously, it was loads of eBay returns because obviously, you know, you type into Google military watch, you will always find, you know, under shopping, especially because I was looking to buy watches, you know, you'd find a lot of eBay returns. Um, but I initially found a lot of responses on the old watch forums, so, you know, like um, Watch You Seek, um, ATG Vintage came up. So obviously Alistair Gibbons over there um, yep. running, running that side of that forum. Um, and then hardly anything on social media. I think social media in terms of, you know, Facebook forums, YouTube, um, Instagram, uh, for me kind of didn't really appear on my radar until um 2014-15 just as I had left my first unit and I'd moved to overseas where I was out in Cyprus um that's where that side of it kind of blew up for me uh so if I was to give anyone any pointers I'd say that for me personally I think the forums are really good if you want to try and find like really what are now considered vintage issued watches because the information's there you know it's it's reasonably credible because at the end of the day you know before forums we had books and before forums it pretty much would have been word of mouth the only way to know about a military watch before the internet was probably you had to have well basically you had to have joined the army or you would have had to have been exposed to these watches via being a very high up level effectively horologist or specialist or watch maker or you know auctioneer or you know been in a place where you would have had to seen these watches come past your desk um so you know the forums are really good if you're looking at what we would now consider as vintage watches like i said i would say take the forums still as a pinch of salt because about due and you do and you know due respect to the collectors and and the people on there at the end of the day it's still just effectively secondhand and personal research isn't it because at the end of the day you know that's all it is a, a forum is opinion um but if you were to research now, you would find a lot in terms of the YouTube, you'd find a lot on, you know, Instagram of uh, any of the uh, watch reviewing sites, you know, that we, we can think of, you know, you've got your hidden keys out there, you've got your Fratello watches, you've got your monochrome watches and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then also other podcasts, other, you know, collectors, the good thing that you've got with Instagram, especially is the fact that you can type in the hashtag military watch or army watch or, you know, um, Mill Watch Monday, all that kind of stuff, and you'll just find other collectors. 
you know, and I think the best way to do your research is actually just following those hashtags, finding the people who seem to be fairly big into certain uh, aspects of collecting. And, you know, effectively, it sounds horrible, but you're effectively rating their photography, their following, and just going back through historical posts just to see the kind of stuff that they write and how they write about it, you know. Um, there are obviously also some books out there that you can do, um, which are unfortunately because military watches is a very niche part of collecting. The books are quite expensive. Um, however, I've got I've got about three or four of them um, by uh, various different writers. But the two that I would you know um, recommend are um, by a bloke called Conrad Kernin or near him depending on how you pronounce it uh, and he did one on british military watches which isn't just british military watches it actually should be renamed to western military watches um, sure. and then one which is he's called german military watches um but again should probably be renamed to axis power military watches and effectively he takes um every single issued timepiece that you could get a hold of and he's done it um, in a bilingual format. So half the book's British, half the book's in German. Um, all the photography is his, pretty much his own. And he's gone to his collectors to do it. And he's written up, you know, back, basic background um, information of what he could find on the companies. Um, and then he's obviously got loads of photos of the watches. And that's really good as a resource because, you know, you could look on an eBay listing, for example, and say, right, actually, that crown's not quite correct. Those handset looks like, you know, they've been, they've been, you know, replaced at some point or whatever. And I think they are actually a really good resource. The problem is, is because the book's quite old, I say it's quite old, I think it was done in the early 2000s. Um, it's quite hard to get hold of now. So, you know, and obviously with that, these big books you know come at a price anyway because effectively sure. it's a large coffee table book um but if your audience want to have um you know to find them I'm, i'll, I'll uh, send you the link to obviously where i found them and you can just put it into your show notes um, okay cool yeah. what about is there is there a particular like model or reference or a range of of references from a you know maybe a given manufacturer that you think would be like make a popular obvious first choice for somebody who is looking at something okay so your, your obvious first choice then and it's very common is and again it's quite patri patriotic you know i'm going to go british on this is is just your obligatory or very what we would click class is your venerable g10 watch so your g10 stands for uh g1098 which is um it's actually the form that is filled out for uh issue effectively and effectively every time you as a military person go in and get issued something kit and equipment effectively used to come on a g1098 form um the form has been renamed to a different number but it's still the same thing and you know but that term as it were g10 uh, has had stayed um so you know i call it a g10 watch my father called him a g10 watch you know um I think his his father called them a G10 watch as well, you know? So it's just a colloquial term. But if you type that in on the internet, you would get everything from Pulsar watches through to uh, CWC watches um, and other, you know, brands as well. It depends on, you know, the price that you want to pay. But, you know, you could pick up a used um, G10 uh, Pulsar effectively for anywhere between 70 pounds to 120 all day every day on ebay you know okay. and that's 
probably where I'd start if someone wanted to go into military watches and they hadn't got one, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a unique watch. Uh, what's quite interesting about the Pulsar G10 watches is the fact that they're still being issued now. Um, and it's actually a model that Pulsar don't make at uh, civilian retail. So the case is completely unique. Um, the movement obviously isn't. The movement's uh, it's a three-handed movement with a date that's you know probably used out for quite a lot of their lines. Um, but the actual uh, watch, the dial, the handset, the whole you know um, item as a physical thing, you cannot get as a civilian version. So it's a purely military watch, which is quite nice. Um, and then also the fact that you know you can get them all day, every day on eBay. So. All right, cool. Now, would, what are the likelihoods? Or the likelihoods. Listen to me talk. Um, what is the likelihood of somebody finding one of those that had been issued, or are they basically all issued watches? Well, at some point they would have been issued. At some point, but just because it's got an issue marking doesn't ever mean that it ever went and did something. Is the best way to describe it? Because this is the thing, right? Is as you know from your experience with with the military, is the fact that. Just because something has a stock number and an issue number and a serial number, it doesn't actually mean it ever went anywhere. So, and also, if it did go somewhere, there's no proof of where it went because at the end of the day, it's just been given to someone, they've used it, it's become, I'm using air quotes here, lost, you know? Okay. Uh, and it's been sold on. Um, but you, can, you can't, you know, they're really properly verifying anything because at the end of the day, you're just taking that seller's word for, you know, his, him as a human being. And it's down to whether you believe him or not, you know? Um, but like I said, you, you can find them. Um, it would have at some point sat on a store shelf, but like I said, I can't tell you what unit it would have been at. I can't tell you, um, where it would have gone. You know, the only thing I can tell you is the year that it would have been, uh, a sent to a military unit uh, to the mod as a whole you know and okay. obviously that's on on the case back so obviously the the pulsars you're looking uh the pulsars are a bit weird they um issued them in the late 90s for a very short t period of time and then they stopped and then they reissued them um from 2000 and well basically the mid 2000s so effectively one company stopped issuing them uh, the G10 watches because they effectively lost the contract because as we all know the military likes to do th things at a budget their contract was too much per uh, individual item that the government were willing to pay for so they went back to Pulsar because they offered the same you know capability at a, at a lesser price um, and then you'll find them the majority of Pulsars you'll find probably dated 2009 onwards. Okay so these are relatively I mean in the in the world of you know vintage and military, you know, these are not brand new watches, but these are recent manufacture in a lot of cases. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, the other side of it is, is it's a quartz watch. It'll run. You'll be able to easily replace batteries for years to come on them. Um, and you're not paying Rolex Milsub money for something that has a, you know, military uh, issue number and a, a date and the NSN and all that kind of stuff. You know, because, um, you know, if I suggested to someone, oh, yes, you should start by collecting Rolex mill subs, then you'd look at me like I was absolutely crazy. So, you know. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So am I correct in assuming then, and I probably, I didn't, you know, tell you I was going to ask you this question. So sorry, I'm going to ambush you. But is like the next 
kind of the next level up, would that be something like the CWC divers? And are those still issued? Um, so the yeah, so, so effectively the G10 watches we are, are, are the ones that you would normally get for your general service. So your general service uh, soldier uh, or airman, sailor, your operator um, will get you know your standard effectively three-handed watch with pro- probably a date on there. Um, and it'll be what we would class in the watch fam as a field watch, you know. Uh, if you have a specialism that requires extra complication, as it were, or extra rotary resistance. So in this case, as you've rightly pointed out, in the military have military divers, you can be issued a diving watch. Um, as far as I'm aware, um, CWC are not being issued at, um, at the moment. Um, because the contract isn't there, but that doesn't mean that they can't still be issued. So what I'm saying is, I know that there are CWC watches in the system still, right? Sure. But it doesn't mean that any new ones are going to come in because they've got X amount. They've not all been issued because you know we know what the military is like. But um, the contract, as far as I'm aware, isn't continuing because they've gone to a new company that has now supplied military divers watches. So you could effectively get either from the new company or you could get a CWC diver's watch or more realistically, you're not going to get an analog quartz watch, diver's watch to what we as the watch fam appreciate as a diver's watch. You're probably as a military diver more likely to get a diving computer. So, you know, think your Sunto suit garments and all that kind of stuff for because at the end of the day, if they're going to issue you a diver's watch, why don't they issue for you a diver's watch that can give you your time underwater, your oxygen levels, you know, your all the stuff that you need to do your job instead of just an analog watch? Sure. Um, yeah, I would. I would imagine if you're, you know, a commander or if you're the, um, you know, in charge basically of stores and logistics for a unit like that in the UK or in the US for that matter, you'd probably say, yeah, I'm issuing you this piece of equipment, and if you want to watch, great, go buy yourself a Frogman. Exactly. You know, right and, and that's it. You know, I mean, the, the British Army told me day one to turn up with my own watch, you know, and I told to buy one, you know, it's part of the kit list. You should turn up with one. So, you know, issued watches. Yes, they're issued, but um, they are few and far between, shall we say. And the yep. way to get them from stores isn't necessarily just through being in the correct job spec to be issued one. Sometimes you have to uh, you have to become a bit pally with your storeman, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. It's uh I in in the US we have that expression and I'm probably gonna muck it up here, but you know, you uh you're gonna catch flies with honey. Mm-hmm. Or maybe yeah, to yeah. catch catch more flies. Well, whatever it is. Yeah, People yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Well got it. So hey, we've talked a little bit about kind of issued watches and then there's yep. mili- military adjacent watches, but then there's kind yep. of something in between, and you have something like that on your wrist right now. You know, this is the um you know, a, basically a, a special project watch, a Bremont yeah. watch, um, and, you know, Breitling do something similar. I'm sure, um, you know, Omega, very low key. I'm sure you've seen mm-hmm. photos of them floating around, but you know, it looks like a, a box stock, uh, planet ocean. And when you turn it over, you know, there's a, a, a wing dagger. Yep. Um, and that's, that's a real watch, um, not issued, I presume. But, it isn't issued. No. Yeah. Uh, but, but good so- provenance there. Yeah, so various companies do do special projects, and there are a few. So I can talk from my experience. So I never saw a special project watch until I deploy, uh, deployed was was posted overseas uh, in Cyprus. Um, that's when my bank balance started really crying um, because my watch hobby took over, 
and um like i said i was exposed to a higher level of watch in general let alone just special projects uh, it just so happened that the watches that i was exposed to <laughs> nine times out of ten were a, a special project of some sort so um on the uk side of it there is a couple of um well, there's at least one main one but there's probably a few more that you could approach um effectively uh I want to say middlemen, and without disrespect to them, but effectively they are a jeweler, um, and effectively they have the ability to approach certain companies on the behalf of military units because they hold hold the licensing to or the ability to approach the MOD to get these watches made. So, you know, you've mentioned then um, the, the, that Breitling made um, a couple of special projects that Amiga have done as well. Um, and nine times out of 10, um, those watches will have a unit logo, be it a cat badge or a squadron badge, as, as you've seen. Um, and obviously they put that on the watch somewhere. Um, there's an expression of interest is obviously sent out to people who can be eligible for whichever watch it is. Um, and then obviously the watches are ordered and the watches are then sent out to those owners. Um, so that's normally how it works. Um, it's changed slightly. You can still go down that route and effectively go to that, that jewelers, that company and, and have them as your middleman to, you know, effectively commission the watch. Um, or you can do what I did, which is like I said, because of the exposure that I had is go directly to the companies. So I'm really fortunate. I'm actually a project leader with two uh, watchmakers, uh, watch companies that that do uh, special project watches or what I've now been, you know, colloquially termed as special project watches. Right. Um, so the first one being Bremont. And obviously, you know, we spoke earlier in the wrist check about the, the particular Bremont that I've got on my wrist today. Um, but I've also a project leader now with Elliott Brown watches as well. So, and the process is very similar. So effectively as the project leader, I decided that I wanted to see if a watch could be commissioned for uh, my trade um, and all my core in the in respect to Elliott Brown. Um, and you basically just have that open dialogue with them, turn around and send them an email and say, look, this is my idea. What do you think? They go away, they'll think about it, you know, as a company. Because at the end of the day, you know, the company have got to uh, effectively go out on a limb, really, let's face it, you know, to, to design your watch that they may not, you know, you may not actually get made because you might not have enough people. Um, but also, like, they've got to be confident that the design is something that they actually want to put their name to, because ultimately the watch is still a Bremont, it is still a Breitling, it is still an Elliott Brown, it is still a Rolex, it is still an Amiga or whichever company you go to. Sure. You know? um, so it has to be financially viable for them as well. You know, really, that's basically it. Um, so I, like I said, I, I, I went to them. You know, fortunately for me, the, both the projects respective of each company, uh, they decided that, you know, it was something that they would be interested in doing. And then I sent them through um, mock-up designs, which I had come up with um, that encompassed the history of, in one case, my trade or sub-trade, and in the other case, uh, my core. Um, and I actually took a lot of uh, influence from a my own personal research, uh, the things that I knew about the trade and the core, but then also looking at other special projects because this is the joy of Instagram, right? And you know, particularly with um, companies that um, advertise their special projects, is you can look at those special projects all day, every day on the internet, and you can pick out things that you like. And say, oh, 
that project did that with, you know, for example, that handset or that loom color, and that means that, and oh, I can utilize that for my watch. And that's kind of what I did. I just jumbled it all together with the things that I knew people would like in either my core or in my trade. Um, and then also things that I thought were clever. Um, but then also the companies themselves will put a little bit of a spin on it. So, you know, they'll give me you your left and right of arc and say, actually, it's impossible for us to make this how you want it with this model because it's just something we don't do or we're not willing to do it for financial reasons or just genuinely it's impossible to do. You know, I've had certain things, I've had ideas on um, my watches where they go, uh, where you think it's really good and they send you back the digital render and you say, actually that turned out really badly, you know, as well. So it's a bit of an open dialogue really. And then, like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's confirmed between the company and the project leader. And then after that, you just advertise it and effectively you hope that, enough people like your design that uh you know they're going to be made no that's cool in fact i'm i'm sure i've seen at least one of the special projects watches that you've done and now it, it for the life of me i'm not sure if i've seen that elliot brown piece so i'll have to look i assume you you feature both of those on your timely moments yes feed. Yeah, yeah so the digital render of the elliot brown is is on the feed um and obviously after we finish recording i'll actually i'll just send it to you you can have a look at it um but my bremont is also on there um but i'm quite fortunate matt in the fact that uh I actually have, off the top of my head, six special projects. Wow, that actually yeah. that's incredible. I in my back of my mind, I was yeah. hesitant to ask you. Like you have more than one, right? It, it I seems do. Like yeah. I, so yeah. I have four Bramonts. Oh, I'm, I'm I am including the Elliot Brown because it is you know it is a thing. It is being made right as we speak in terms of a project. Is is it's in production to be made. So. I, I have six, yeah. So I've got uh, four Bramont watches that, that commemorate different parts of my, my career to date. I have a Christopher Ward watch, uh, which I picked up um, a few years ago. And it was actually a really funny story how, how the Christopher Ward watches came about. Um, they, did, they commissioned a watch for the 100th anniversary of the, my first ever unit, uh, which was Five Squadron. Um, I was actually deployed at the time when that watch was advertised. So I didn't know anything about it. And actually I'd only just started in collecting watches anyway. So I, it was probably just above my radar in terms of a, how much, how much it was to buy, but also what it was. Um, and you know, like I say, it was advertised when I was deployed, it obviously closed and obviously the posters were taken down, the emails disappeared and no one ever thought about it again. But a few years later, it turned out that three or four, um personnel who signed on for the watch in the end just didn't buy it so these watches were made and they were engraved and everything and um christopher ward actually held on to the watches for i think it was two years before they went back to the uh what should have been uh clients and and applicants um and for whatever reason the watches weren't picked up Christopher Ward obviously accepted that. And actually what Chris Ward did is that they actually went back to the squadron and they said, look, we've got X amount of these watches left. We will sell them to the squadron. The only thing that you won't have is the case back because obviously it's been engraved to someone else. So we have to put, we have to leave by legality reasons. We have to put a, um, a standard blank case back on the back. However, because of that, we'll actually sell them to members of the squadron who weren't on the initial drop. And I actually managed to pick up my uh, 100th anniversary squadron watch for my first unit that way, um, two years after the anniversary, which is quite funny. 
Oh, excellent. Well, hey, on a slight aside, and feel free to just wave me off this just because of mm-hmm. Persec reasons. I didn't tell you I was going to ask this either, but what is Five Squadron for people who don't know? Uh, so Five Squadron uh, operated um, basically a iStar platform. So okay. uh, it was it, the capability is similar to a plane that flies out of uh, California with long wings. Yes. Yep. Yep. And say no more. That's okay. So, yeah. so got it. Got it. Uh, but yeah. So you know, I mean, that, that was quite cool. Um, but yeah. So that was an interesting project. But yeah. So including that one. Um, and then I, I have, um, a special project Brightling as well, uh, which has got my, our favorite complication on it, a GMT. Um, and then like I said, the Elliot Brown, which is inbound, uh, in the next couple of months, it should be with me, uh, if production, you know, it continues the way it's going and and how Elliot Brown forecast the, the watches should be out for delivery, uh, the first half of September, which would be quite nice. Yeah, I've got to check that out. I've been hearing a lot about the the quality, like the build quality and, you know, the the aesthetic of Elliot Brown and I know somebody here in Southern California. He's um he's like a very low key. I'm trying to pull him uh-huh. in a little bit more, you know, yeah. into the watch world. But um, I won't mention eventually, his name ev- eventually everyone gets sucked into the watch into the watch fam anyway. So he may as well just give in. Yeah, so this guy, he'd asked my he's a um he was a former communicator in the Marine Corps. And now he's in uh, in law enforcement. And again, I won't mention his name or his agency, but um, he'd asked about a watch that he, you know, he'd purchased that had broken. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, it, I mean, it was a complete catastrophic failure of the watch and it was actually it was surprising. So I was like, you know, um, here are some things I suggest. And the next time I checked in with him, like three months later, he had like a U1, two Damascos, a Sangin and an Elliot Brown. And nice. yeah, and he, went, I, he, he fell in hard then is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. So I have to check out that Elliot Brown because I, I have heard really good things. And initially when I saw it, I was like, okay, that's cool, but not my cuppa. But the mm-hmm. more I'm looking at it, the more I'm thinking, Hey, that's, that's pretty neat looking. Actually, it doesn't look mm-hmm. derivative of anything else. So, no. so, um, I mean, you live in, obviously you live in California, you know, and, um, so clearly, you know, you might you might have surfed i don't know but obviously you know there's this big surfing scene out in california you know from my experience when i've i visited um have you heard of a company called animal uk i have i have not actually okay so animal uk is effectively the uk equivalent of quicksilver the, yep. you know the, the surf company uh you know they obviously clearly do s- extreme sports in general don't they quicksilver so it's like surfing uh snowboarding all that kind of stuff so it's effectively the same thing in in uk and that was animal um animal were obviously really big and from like the late 80s right through they're, they're still in existence now um but what's interesting is that animal actually made watches and elliot brown are actually the well the owners of Elliot Brown actually founded Animal so effectively they decided that they wanted to make a watch company so um their watches are really tough um but at a obviously clearly um uh, uh, not a Bremont pr- price point is the best way to describe it you know sure um uh, definitely a uh, a tool watch kind of price point you know they're up there with your your high end G-Shocks kind of you know free to 400 and sometimes up well actually their automatic watches can push up to like 800 pounds um but that's kind of their pedigree and that's where they started from 
Um, but what's interesting with Elliot Brown is that because of this pedigree of extreme sports and their ability to make watches in a different way, as you've said, you know, because they're not derivative of anyone else. They are very much in their own styling and their own lane and what they want to make. Um, they actually managed to uh, secure the contract to supply divers watches to the British military. No, that's, so that's an actually kind of a fascinating way to circle yeah. back into this main topic then, because yeah. that is, um, I've, as you've alluded, you know, they're, these are generally not inexpensive objects for what they do, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I mean, Elliot Brown, that is pretty approachable, you know, for yeah. most people who are going to be listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is just a, I don't know, an, an additional sort of feather in the legitimacy cap. Yeah, definitely. On the military watch side. So that's cool. Well, hey, you mentioned, so one thing that sort of differentiates them from another company, Brimont, is price point. Um, Mm -hmm. I do want to kind of take it back sort of, um, you know, for selfish reasons to talk a little bit about Vermont for a second. I, um, Mm -hmm. you know, people who've listened to this show know that about uh, maybe two months ago, we released an episode where I kind of riffed on the whole, the topic of Bremont in general. Um, And you know, I mean, you've been a project leader. So, I mean, I assume that like me, you were probably pretty keen on the brand. What is your opinion on how they're perceived? I mean, are you aware of how they're perceived here? And yeah, so, I mean, I'm aware of how they're perceived in general across the watch fam. And it is, it's polarizing, isn't it? How they, how they're perceived, you know, um, from my point of view, uh, I will be biased, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I am a project leader, I've had a very good uh, relationship as in terms with the, with the brand, you know, they've never done, they, they couldn't have done anything more for me for either my own project that I led or, you know, um, effectively um, the eligibility process for my other projects that I've bought with them. Um, it's been second to none, really. It's been fantastic. And that's kind of what you want from when you buy a luxury timepiece, you want a really good experience, you know? So I have had a really good experience and I've also been to some really cool watch events. So I've done a couple of the townhouse events, you know? I do think, I want to say I've seen you singing like yes. uh yeah, yeah. or something yeah I, yeah that was uh with my project coordinator actually uh so shout out to joe she actually featured on the zulu time podcast um this month and uh yeah that was a few years ago in london in clerkenwell that was for the her majesty's armed forces uh line release and uh yeah there was a moment where we may have had a, a few alcoholic drinks and uh, there was a like live weird acapella strings band walking around at one point and they were doing their own rendition of the human league and we decided to join in uh that that happened um but yeah so clearly a fun group of people to be around um but you're right uh, the uh, the view on bramont is very polarizing uh and i i just think it's interesting isn't it how they are perceived as you know like i said you got one hand people who are like really pro Bramont, you know like pro british watches and what they're doing for watchmaking in terms of like the british industry um and then you get the others who are just like this is all like quite a fabricated story you know this aviation background it's a bit woolly you know two brothers it's kind of like you know all this stuff that you can effectively is a marketing ploy to get people to buy your watches and you know a, a big thing that i've heard is you know people talk about their price point in the retail space because they always turn around and say, well, actually, if I'm going to pay for that money for a British watch, um, not that we should buy watches for investment, but obviously clearly there are those who do. Um, I could take that money and put it into a safer investment, shall we say, in a different 
insert Swiss brand here. Sure. Know, but I, I, it's one of those. I think obviously you buy what you want, um, but I just think actually if you look fundamentally strip back what they are doing and trying to do um, as a company at the level that they're doing it, no one's done it, you know, since the you know the quartz crisis before before the quartz crisis. Really, at the scale that they're doing it. Now, obviously, there are British watchmakers that are doing, you know, effectively the same thing. You know, you've got um, horology uh, watchmakers who will make every component of a watch, uh, make it, uh, and then send it out, and then do all your servicing, and it's just that one bloke, you know. But the, what Bram are trying to do is basically bring back mass watchmaking to a location in Britain where they've got it all under one roof. And actually, we've not had that on this, that scale since before the quartz crisis, the end of the Second World War, you know. So actually, you've got to give them credit with what they're doing, you know, because it is pretty impressive, you know. But it's funny, isn't it? It's If that was a company in Switzerland, I think the overall watch fan would be like, this is amazing, you know, but I think it's because it's not in Switzerland or it's not in Japan people are getting a little bit, well, why should we back this? You know, and I know there was obviously a few issues, shall we say, around um, particular movement, you know, in, in the past. And I do know that there was a, 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 a effectively an apology sent out because of the wording and the phrasing that they used. And that probably, you know, and that's, I mean, I don't really know how that works, you know, because I'm not a marketeer and I'm not, you know, into um the whole ip kind of side of it but you know clearly they were at least honest enough to issue a an apology you know on on that movement you know but at the end of the day i like I said I, I just think it's one of those where it's funny that if they were any other company people i think would would would, would get on board with them if they were a swiss company you know and at the end of the day they're only what they're less than 15 years old and you know every watch company at one point was less than 15 years old and they were the new kid on the block. You know, even Rolex was once the new kid on the block, you know, and I think yeah. people forget that. Yeah. Rolex compared to, you know, most other sort of mainstream Swiss brands yeah. still are the new kid on the block. Right. I mean, you oh, know, exactly. compared, compared to Omega or yeah. IWC or, or exactly. Um, no, I agree. I think we're on the same page. I think, you know, I don't want to, I won't say the name, but well, I will say the name who cares. It's, I like this brand, but you know, people yeah. would, you know, 10 years ago, people would fawn over Panerai. Yeah. Not not because of the quality of the movement. They were almost entirely bought in movements. That's fine. And not yeah. particularly great ones. But yeah, the, yeah. the design and the package and the ethos and that whole sort of vibe associated with it. Yeah. And they commanded top freaking dollar. And, yeah. you know, for the most part, the watch fam back then was all about it. And yeah, exactly. I, yeah. So I, and, I think. Uh, oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Sorry. And again, like you said, they, they commanded top dollar, you know, Panerai because of, like you said, that overall package and the ethos that they put in. But I think the other side of it is, is, you know, I think people forget Britain's industry is geared completely differently to how it was bef effectively before the quartz crisis, just after the war and even before the Second World War. You know, the what we produce and we export and how our genuinely like, you know, like our industry is set up is different. So to bring watchmaking back into it in general is is just effectively revolutionary in it, well i mean obviously it's going back in time loosely to an old trade but it is revolutionary because it's not been at that scale but obviously the other side of it is is we're in ireland and we have to effectively have a higher price point because we're in ireland because there are certain things that have to be 
if they're being made in Britain, it commands a price. You know, it's no different from uh, buying a bespoke suit, shall we say, you know, and you go to a tailor's to have your suit and he has to get the material in, he has to, you know, you're paying for his labor to have that suit done for you. Or you can just go to insert generic department store and just pick one up off the rack. You know, I, I know it's a bad analogy, but the point being is, is you're paying a little bit more because it's made in Britain or elements of it are made in Britain, you know, and, and that's the other side of it. And I think, again, people, I think, don't necessarily want to do that. I think that's, you know, probably where, I, I think that's where, you know, the issue on the, 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 the retail prices come in. But if you understand that, you know, to get a label that says made in Britain, you have to pay a little bit more because of just the way the British economy, the industry, and, you know, how Britain's effectively, its, its actual resources are, we have to do that, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, you bring up a good point. The fact is that, um, you know, at some point in the past, you know, a, that take a typical, you know, core Bremont watch and uh, Martin Baker too, you know, yeah. um, some small percentage of the value of that watch was made in Britain. And yeah. as time has gone by, the, the value of that watch that's added or made in Britain has become more and more, mm -hmm. it's become greater and greater yeah. and greater. And eventually there will be, if, and perhaps it already is, you know, there, whether it's, you know, manufacturing small parts for a movement, like a, you know, a base plate or bridges and mm -hmm. things like that. And then eventually rotors. And, you know, we're going to wake up at some point, I think, and find that a significant chunk of, you know, the metal in these watches are, are designed, not just the IP, like, yeah. you know, other brands, but the, the IP and the manufacturer, the toil, yeah. the skill is all resides, you know, in Britain. And yeah. that's a big deal. Like you said, you know, this is serial, serial industrial scale manufacturer. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't see any, anybody else really doing it. You know, um, I mean, you know, obviously Roger Smith gets passed, but Roger Smith, that's a completely different thing. Exactly. Um, and that's it, yeah. isn't it? It's like he's effectively one bloke in his house, let's say, you know, with a very niche, uh, uh, not niche, but yeah, very, a, a very niche skill set because he has got a niche skill set. He's got a very particular style and he's got a very, very small, you know, effectively apprenticeship, you know, cohort that's going to take over from him, you know, and again, it's a, that example, you pay what you, you know, you get what you pay for. If you want a Roger Smith watch, you're going to pay what you pay to get a Roger Smith watch. And you're quite content with knowing that that money has gone into, like you said, his labor, his design, his IP and, and the materials to do that. You know, it, it's, it's one of those. So. Yeah. So it's, yeah, essentially what Jeremy Clarkson would probably just call a, a bloke in a shed. And yeah. 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 And just, it's a, a very nice product that's coming it out of a, the shed. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It is, you know, right you know, but like I said, I mean, I, the other side of it is that Matt, is I've had a very unique experience with Bremont, you know, and I harp back to your previous episode about it. You, you probably describe Bremont a lot better than I could in the fact that you could almost say they are three smaller brands under the same roof. I've really only dealt with the special projects team, you know, um, and they make bespoke watches, you know, that have marked milestones in my career being in this case units and trades you know that aren't available to everyone at retail you know um i like some of their limited editions that they do every year to raise money for charity and support certain causes but 
it's not something that I'd ever buy. In fact, there's only one that I would have bought and, you know, I they were all sold out by the moment they were launched, you know. Um, but their retail watches, they're absolutely lovely. And I've never had a bad experience in a Bremont boutique. But the thing for me is the fact that I have, this, you know, the special project version of that watch. So I would never go into a Bremont AD and buy the retail version of the watch that I already have, you know, because it's just not as special for me. You know, so that's the other side of it is I've had a very unique exposure to them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I'll, I'll take my Bremont rant hat back off and <laughs> we'll just kind of proceed. But yeah, I, um, I think it's really cool that you are involved with that because as you said, that is the way I put it to people who mm. have kind of the, they, with the raised eyebrow and the question mark over their head is like, Hey, you need to think of Bremont really as almost like three different enterprises and yeah. there's their core watches, which are arguably somewhat expensive, but there's a significant value add there. And, you know, if you Mm -hmm. shop around, you know, you're going to get them at a price that's pretty good. Um, There's the military thing, which is a completely different animal and is super, super cool and um, is discounted, not literally discounted financially, but like mentally discounted by people who don't know or who don't have any exposure or experience and don't know what that that is. And there's a a lot of the critics probably are lumped into that group. And then there's, like you said, there, there are limited editions, which are oftentimes, let's face it, kind of, you know, for people like us, wildly overpriced for what they are. But the point Mm -hmm. is they're meant for a specific audience that want to buy a token of support for some special project or some entity like Bletchley or, you know, the, the Wright brothers, you know, upkeeping their house or or what have you. And that's, that's factored in, you know, they're, the point is for those watches to be expensive and to sell quickly. And, you know, if people don't believe that, go try to buy a P51 watch now. Yeah, see what, you see what that from. costs. Or, yeah. or, the e, or the EP120. I mean, that's that as a watch. I mean, I've seen it, right? And I've held one. Um, great, great watch. Personally, I don't even actually like the design, really. I think it's a bit cluttered. I, but I understand why they designed it the way they did. I get all the design inferences, and I think it's cool that it was made out of the EP120. You know, But again, if you look at what it was made of, made from and what it encompasses, and the price that it was when it sold, to the value that it is now, it's insane. You know what I mean? Like I said, all, all of their special projects, in terms of those limited editions, are probably what? double to sometimes triple what they were probably sold at when they first came out when they were launched you know and that like i said shows you the pulling power of those watches you know really you know i mean the code breaker is fantastic you know like i said you literally have a bit of alan turing's desk on your wrist you know i mean money can't buy that really i mean obviously it can because it's in a watch but you know what i mean sure. like if you turn around to someone and say oh yeah go go get something from bletchley park and you can have it you know if you people can't buy that really you know i mean obviously like i said again you can but it comes at a price you have to be willing to step across that threshold and buy it you know yes it i've got a question actually you know you know being being british i mean i'll always like brahman i like british watchmaking but as uh, you know from your point of view as an american watch collector um what is your opinion on on british watchmaking you know i mean is it is it something where, you know, like I said, you know, because we think about, you know, you know, go back to your wrist check, you've got a Seiko on, you know, where people go, Seiko are great, they're all um, vertically integrated that, you know, and you can get a Seiko from this price point right up to that price point. Uh, and you, there's this, everyone on the planet, there is a Seiko for you and we like them and that's, that's great. But is British watchmaking in general as well received in America? Um, or is it just something like I said, where 
you will stick to your more traditional Swiss brands and your American brands. And obviously in this case, you know, Japanese brands, watches, you know. Well, I think from my perspective as somebody who's been into watches since a time when even before we had Fora, you know, it was the magazines. And I mean, I wasn't Mm -hmm. heavily into it, but you know, that was, that's about how far back it goes. Like my knowledge of maybe um, British watch brands and, and sort of their stories and stuff like that might be a little bit more than the average, you know, watch buyer. Um, but I mean, I would think in general, honestly, the British watchmaking probably flies under the radar here mm-hmm. in, unless you're a real enthusiast. From my perspective, I think it's a big deal. Um, yep. and you know, I'll, I'll raise my hand and say, Hey, yeah, I, I drank the Kool-Aid back in 2010 when I met Nick and Nick mm-hmm. was wearing an EP 120 on his wrist and we spent maybe half an hour talking about the watches and another hour, maybe yarning about flying. And he yeah. tried to, you know, talk me into buying a, uh, an old Piper, either a cub or a Colt or something like that. And, um, you know, just that's, I, I got to know him as just a guy first. Yeah. And as the more I learned about what they were trying to do big picture, the more I started to do my research. I don't know. I think it's really, really cool. I think it's a, an important step for the industry and yeah. I think it's maybe kind of a natural outgrowth of whatever happened. And it almost feels like it's kind of coming full circle, the whole Hayek thing, you know, pulling movements back from, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, um, you know, uh, uh, companies that were not part of, of Swatch Group. And that has, you know, spawned all of these sort of, you know, the clone makers and who have in turn kind of done additional things mm-hmm. as well as, you know, other companies that are making movements. I think it's going to be awesome, you know, when more and more of these British companies have their own movements. I'm definitely not a movement swat snob. You know, I like movement yeah. stuff. And to me, you know, that is a cool value add. Yeah. But like, I don't look at an MB2 as a lesser watch because it's got an ETA movement. At that class of watch, I almost yeah. prefer an ETA movement. But, you know, can you imagine like something like the the value add of a brand like Anordain? Mm-hmm. If, you know, if they, if like they, for them, they went the next step of having like a, maybe even a consortium, you know, what if, what if, you know, Bremont and a couple of other companies are producing, you know, movements together for yeah. the British watch industry. I could, I, I have no inside information. I don't think that's going to happen, but like that could happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, how cool would that be? I like Anordain a lot. Um, yeah. I like the CWC watches a lot. I like Bremont a lot. And yeah. to me, you know, as maybe I'm just an Anglophile, but I'm, I'm all about all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, from my experience of speaking to other American watch collectors, um, and, you know, and that goes, you know, from yourself, it goes, obviously, AJ, and there's others who have featured on my podcast. A lot of American watch collectors uh, seem to be a bit of an Anglophile, you know, in terms of they just think it's cool, you know. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's, it is something that in terms of an industry, seeing it grow, because it effectively is, you know, back in, in Britain is, is really cool. Because at the end of the day, you know, you think, um, um, we think mechanical watchmaking, everyone obviously thinks, and, and luxury mechanical watchmaking, we always think Switzerland, or like I said, you know, if, if you're really into it, you know, you do go to Seiko. Um, but, you know, they are well-established, uh, effectively, industries in those countries. And I think, you know, it's the, I think what's cool for British watchmaking is, like I said, it was effectively destroyed in, in, in the quartz crisis after the Second World War. Um, and to see a re-emergence of British watch brands in general, I think is just really cool. You know, and, and and I think it's something where 
like you said, I think you have to scrape the leaf that layer of uh, luxury watchmaking where people just think Amiga and your big Amiga Rolex Tudor, your big Swiss brands, and it's kind of I'm into watches, but I kind of like the hype of having a watch that people recognize. And then you scratch under that layer and get one lower where it's effectively, I like watches, I like nice luxury items, but I want something that no one else has or different, you know, you won't see as often, you know? And I think that's the other side of it is, is I think that's an attraction is having a watch that no one else has, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's the anti-flex. In, yeah. in in the best possible way. And and also, I didn't say this before, but I mean, and again, this is the thing that really, you know, um, speaks to me about something like Bremont is like soul. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would concede all day long that I wouldn't use the word better, but like an Omega Seamaster or a Submariner, um, I'd have a hard time making the case that like a, a Supermarine is better than those watches. But there's no question that a supermarine has more soul. Yeah, you know, no, and, I agree. With you. Um, and you are never going to have the kind of um, interaction with as great a company as Omega is, and it is, um, unless you're a somebody in air quotes. You are never going to get the time of day from a company like them, or from exactly. Rolex, or from IWC. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, where a you know a guy off the street. You can talk to somebody at Vermont and, you know, I've had relationships, you know, going back, you know, 10 plus years with them and I am not a big customer at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's the, the thing I, I I would, you know, I would, it is a stereotype, but it's a good stereotype. And I would say with all of my interactions with every British watch brand that I have in my collection, I've had always had a personable one. I've had a good um experience and for the majority of the watches in terms of you know the main watches that are in my rotation the other reason that they're in my rotation is not just because obviously i like them and i bought them and you know they mean something to me but it's also the fact that like you said it's the fact that i feel like i'm a member of a club or you know a group you know and also like you said you know i you know i'll take elliot brown as a really good example i know we're going off off bremont but i can ring up the founders of Elliot Brown and speak to them on the phone, you know, and, and you don't like to, you won't get that with your Rolexes, your Amigas, your IWCs, your Tudors, you know, I can ring up the Bremont military special teams project and speak to the head of that department. And I know that something will get done that day. If I have a problem, you know, like you said, where else are you going to get that? And I think it might just be just, I don't know if it's like the British attitude to watchmaking where there's a little bit more of, I guess, you know, air quotes, gentlemanly decorum there, you know, maybe there is, I don't know, but from my experience, I think that's another thing that I like about British watch brands is the fact that I feel akin to them, not just because I'm British, but also the fact that if I have a problem or if I, you know, want to feel like I'm, you know, recognized as, like you said, a client or, or a customer, there's something there as well that I don't get when I wear uh, my Rolex or my Amiga, you know, because I know full well to those companies, I am just a watch serial number that was sold at, a, at an AD you know, somewhere in the south of Britain, and they'll never hear of me again until that watch goes back to service. And that's even if I send it back to Amiga because, or, or Rolex because of the turnaround times to have them serviced, you know. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's a good point, and uh, I think very well made. Hey, so let's, um, you know, we're a little past an hour now, mm-hmm. and um, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug ZT. Do you say ZT or do you say Zulu time? 
Uh, so I, uh, I I use both actually. Uh, so if it's uh, to be quicker, I, I say the ZT podcast, uh, and normally I refer to it as the ZT podcast if there's already people who know of it. Uh, but yeah, it is full title is the Zulu Time podcast. Um, it was a nice nod to the military link to to the podcast topic effectively because uh, obviously you know the military operate in Zulu time. Um, but then the other link was the fact that my initial co-host was Darren, who owns Zulu Alpha uh, Watchstrap. So there was a little nod in there to him as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's the ZT podcast. We, we talk about military watches. We talk about uh, the history of military watches. And then I've more recently moved into um, collector interviews, effectively, um, where I talk to interesting people that i have met throughout my time collecting uh military watches um the individuals normally have a connection to the military at some point however some of them are completely non-military and they are just interesting and good people that i've met through collecting military watches so that's really it that's the plug for the podcast um the link is in uh my instagram in the bio which is uh timely underscore moments if you don't already follow it um, and always happy to talk and message about uh, military watches or any of the watches that we've spoken about today or the companies or even watches in my collection. So, so yeah. Well, that's cool. I definitely would recommend it. I am a consumer. So I, I was aware of your podcast for a while and hadn't listened. And then uh, you and I started communicating a couple months ago about getting together mm-hmm. for this. So I was like, okay, I got to listen to Dan's pod. So I went back to the beginning and listened to the first few. And then I've listened yeah. more recently um, and just again, for people who want to check this out, it's not all military watches, although obviously a lot of it is, but your, I think your most recent drop was all American watches and American, you know, what, what we would th- and sometimes, I guess, say, you know, kind of micros, but you know, the Oak and Oscars and Weiss watch, you should have Weiss on, by the way, Cameron Weiss, he's a great interview and oh, a cool guy. He is. And I've listened to him on his, uh, podcast that he did for a short time. The one with, um, Matt Farrer. Exactly. Yep. That yeah. was a very good podcast. Very good yeah. podcast. Yeah. So he's a, I, and I would say that actually makes him a really good interview because he's an old mm-hmm. hand at doing the podcast. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, just super low key and right up your alley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of, you know, conversation about American watch brands. Um, and then I would also, you know, commend people to go back a few episodes prior and Dan did do a good, like on location at Bremont, the new facility, um, and, you know, talking about the, the military special projects and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. That was also really cool. Did they let you in the bar, by the way? They did let me in the bar. All it, right, was, ho- it was a very good bar. And I can tell you from the photos that were put on my Instagram that the, uh, the bar is not for show, as it were. So it's a functioning bar. So I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, yeah, this is the spirit of time podcast. I, that would be actually probably a bigger bucket list item for me than, <laughs> than, than like, you know, trying to ruck, uh, you know, penny fan would be to actually have a drink at the wing. Yeah. yeah. And I, so, actually, if anything, a drink at the wing would be more civilized than doing the fan dance as well. So a hundred percent. Yeah. A lot less, a lot less sweaty. So good, good. That's awesome. Well, hey, let's move into final notes. This is usually, you know, you've got a podcast, you listen to podcasts, you know mm-hmm. what we do. Um, you know, if you have anything that you'd like to recommend or commend to people or anything you'd like to riff on. Yeah, yeah. So I've got actually a watch event that I want to riff on, um, mainly because um, I've been to the previous iterations of it and it's really good. So um, in UK, uh, I say in UK, uh, there is a uh, watch group 
on Facebook and it's called the Divers Watches Facebook group. And obviously, Matt, what I'll do is I'll send you the links to these groups so you've got it in your show notes. Uh, but the Divers Watches Facebook group was set up by a man called uh, Andreas. He actually resides in Cyprus and he is a big vintage watch collector and dealer and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he decided that he would start up this Facebook group just purely dedicated to Divers Watches. Um, it's obviously it's an open forum really uh it's got forty five thousand members at the last count that i know of um and because of that it's similar to red bar that they've got effectively chapters i guess is a way to describe it uh, and each kind of country tries to do a get together once a year or twice a year and obviously because of our global situation that hasn't happened um however um they are on fully uh going ahead with um, a since delayed 2020 event. Uh, and it's now going to be held uh, on the 25th of September uh, this year um, in Heathrow at the Sofitel Hotel. So effectively what happens is um, loads of watchmakers uh, and companies and all that kind of stuff uh, literally turn up and they showcase their watches, uh, things that they obviously produce that go into the watch industry and the watch collecting industry, um, as it were, and, and you get loads of watch collectors turn up. And it's a nice event because people get to interact with the brands that they buy and collect. There's freebies. I'm saying that you should just go for freebies. Um, and there's obviously good conversation, good people. And you're like this and, you know, um, spirit of time podcast flavor, there's alcohol. Um, so I can't recommend that event enough um i'll send you the link mate for the uh to put into show notes for people to check out and obviously if people are around uh, and want to go um i implored people to go and i'll be there and there'll be other members of um you know the watch fam in terms of like the followers for the zt podcast um who will also be there as well and that'll be i think it's just a really good watch event and catch up for people um the other thing that uh is podcast noteworthy for myself is i've got a new patch design to come out so be on the lookout for that um and they will be sent out uh and i plan to do a competition uh, a photographic kind of watch photography uh competition where we'll get some of those into prizes um and then the only other thing is um to keep an eye on two british watch brands because they should have some interesting watches coming out uh in the next I think they said loosely like by the end of the year. So one being Elliot Brown and the other being Vertex. So check out those British brands if you don't already know them and uh, kind of keep them on your radar because apparently something cool might be happening soon. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's something I should have mentioned earlier, but Vertex, that's another brand. Um, I have yet to hold one of those in hand, but they those look like fantastic pieces. So I'd love to check that out. Yeah, and knowing your love of that Chuchima chronograph, you'd absolutely love their MP45 because it is fantastic. All right. Yeah, consider that uh, that's going on the list of things to check out. Well, as far as you know, kind of final notes for me, the recommendation that I have, I, I talk about this or have talked about this probably on my feeds quite a bit, but I um, follow closely and listen all the time to the Fighter Pilot podcast. And that's a, um, you know, an aviation oriented. So, you know, it's it's not everybody's cup of tea, but at the same time, I think for a lot of people who are into things like cars and watches and, and history and travel and things like that, there's going to be, you know, a good proper overlap. 
So that's a, a fantastic podcast, but they're actually spinning off like a new property called The Merge. So for people that okay. know, oh, that's kind of colloquially, The Merge is that, that point in time in, in aerial combat where, you know, two, um, two groups of aircraft essentially get to within visual range and, you know, <laughs> converge yep. and, and then, you know, a turning fight begins. So this is, um, they played a, a teaser for it today. And it sounds like it's going to be long form, like really, you know, wild and woolly, hairy, you know, stories of, of daring do and mayhem and maybe, you know, um, escapes from disaster, um, or, or maybe not escapes from disaster. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see. So I, I recommend everybody check that out. If you don't already follow, um, the fighter pilot podcast, you know, do that, listen to that. It's a, it's a fantastic show. And then look for, again, this new property. I think it's coming out probably round about the first week of August. We're recording in the end of July. So look for it in about a week. Um, And yeah, it's just The Merge, M-E-R-G. Nice. I like, yep. the fighter po- I like the fighter pilot podcast as well. The, uh, he gets some very interesting characters on, I'm sure you're saying, doesn't he? So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I had a kick out of this. I don't, I don't know if it was something that maybe it just it, – I took a few pictures of some, some of his swag uh, maybe mm-hmm. two years ago. And I support him on Patreon, and everybody else should do the same too. Um, but uh, I'd had some, you know, some watch pictures with his swag in the background. And then a few months later – and maybe it was just completely coincidence, but Adrian Barker had something, a video – and up in the corner, and you can you can kind of see where I'm doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. But like here, superimposed on his screen on his YouTube video was a series of um, it was like basically his screen and the podcast that he had queued up. Oh, and, nice! And it was like one, two, three, four. Wait, there's you know you couldn't mistake it. It was the fighter pilot podcast. So I was like, yeah, yeah it's right got on. Very, yeah, it's got a very uh, distinctive uh, art cover, hasn't it? It's really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the the yellow. Yeah. yeah. Which I yeah. always wonder. Well, I'm sure it's a play off of his name, but Jello Yellow. Yeah, yeah, um, got it. Cool, cool. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. I know, um, you know, we've been uh, looking forward to have you on for a while. Hopefully, we'll do this again. And you know, thanks for really just giving us an episode talking just about watches this time. And we kind of yeah. alternate some of our our episodes of more booze heavy and watch heavy. So today is all about watches. And thanks very much. Well, thank you for having me, Matt, and I look forward to potentially coming back on again, or maybe I'll host you on the ZT podcast and get you and Greg on. How about that? Uh, you know what? I think that would be awesome. And you know what? Maybe even better is in about a year's time, um, summer of next year, I'll come over and you can arrange for a tour or pull some strings or whatever and get me into yeah. the wing. And uh, yeah, that more would than, be- more than, more than happy to oblige and take you on a British watchmaking tour, as it were, of Britain. Uh, yeah that would be fantastic yeah not a problem let's do it all right cool cool we hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice it really does help you can find us on instagram at spirit of time podcast and contact us at spirit of time podcast at gmail.com as always please drink responsibly thanks again for listening we'll see you next time